0: On today's episode 20, I'm speaking with my local fishmonger, Leif Gildersleeve of Flying Fish Company, a retail fish market, meat market, oyster bar, and full-service eatery in Portland, Oregon. Craig and Sandy Gildersleeve first opened Flying Fish Company in Sandpoint, Idaho in 1979, the year before their son was born. Leif, now president of Flying Fish Company and second-generation fishmonger, has spent his entire life around fish including an aquaculture education at the Harbor Branch Oceanographic Institute in Florida. In 2010, Leaf moved to Portland, opened a fresh fish food cart, which grew to a fish shack, which then expanded and moved into Provador Fine Foods, a local high-end grocery store and fresh food market. In February of 2020, Leaf opened up Flying Fish Company as a standalone restaurant and seafood market on East Burnside. His mission from the very beginning has always been to source and curate the highest quality local seasonal, sustainably harvested ingredients available, because in doing so, he believes this is the best solution for our environment, the coastal fishers, and his customers. Hey Lee! thanks so much for joining today.
1: Hello, hello.
0: Oh, I'm excited to talk to you because you know, I love seafood. I'm the only one in my house who, like, really loves seafood because I grew up eating seafood. I'm in this house of my husband who grew up in Colorado, like, not surrounded by water at all. And he doesn't like to be – he doesn't like to admit that he doesn't like seafood because, you know, he doesn't want to be that guy. And my kids, I'm working on them. I'm working on them. So, um I know you're, like, my kind of people, so I'm excited to talk to you. (laughs)
1: Absolutely. Well, your family's not the only person that doesn't like seafood, and I I love a challenge when those people come about in in my presence, because it's, like, my challenge is to, like, give them a taste of something that makes them like seafood, because it's an amazing resource and protein and and it's so healthy for you. And sometimes all people need to do is just and eat a piece of something amazing and incredible. And they're like, oh, wow, that's different than I ever had.
0: Right. I, I often feel like maybe they had a bad experience or they just weren't exposed to it. And then the times that they were, it was prepared by somebody who really didn't know what they were doing. And so, you know, Of course, you're not going to like it. Of course, you're not going to like a vegetable from a can or like the first time that they had something, you know, uh, could have been a school lunch experience and they're traumatized you know, for the rest of their lives, they think they don't like something.
1: hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely. And it's, you know, the same thing goes with oysters. It's like, I like to introduce people to oysters because a lot of times they're like, oh, the texture, the, this, the, that. But then if you give them a nice little bite with some mignonette, a little bit of lemon on there and a smaller size and they slurp it back, they're like, oh, that's actually really nice. Not, not like a, you know, an oyster shooter that has cocktail sauce and all that in it. Um, that's going to be a lower grade one. So anyway, right. agreed. Uh, it's <laughs> (laughs) all all we got to do is just keep sharing that love one bite at a time and and win them over
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely and your place is just incredible i mean it's um for people who don't know it is like when people think of like go ask your neighborhood fishmonger like the these days not every neighborhood has a fishmonger they've got your grocery store your big chains and you know the people working behind the counter they may not know anything about the fish that comes in they just put in the case right whereas if you go to your place it, it really feels like you could ask all questions it's you know obviously it's the things that are coming in are seasonal you can't it's not the same stuff all the time it's rotating whatever is fresh and so you really feel like you're gonna go and you're, it's like a re- well first of all it's like a full service restaurant too. explain to people like the fact that you guys are a restaurant you um your retail store all that
1: yeah, you know, and, and that brings such a good point um, of what you just said, just to start off um, off the top is, you know, I I have a family history of being in the seafood market and we can we can talk about that a little bit more in detail. But, um, you know, I have all this education and and um, knowledge about seafood. And this business started off with me just selling fish out of a truck. So, of course, my oldest customers in Portland about 11 years ago were just coming to me and I would feed them with all this great information and give them that one bite, um, you you know, sell them a piece of fish and just earn that customer base one at a time. Now I've got 29 employees. So really the challenge for me is to train all of my employees or at least the front of house employees, but really back of house as well, on all these important topics about seafood, because there is so many complex topics that, um, you know, even somebody that works in the service industry and the food industry doesn't know. So it's my goal to do trainings at least monthly or or bi-monthly where I set my staff down and I'm I'm recording those and I'm sending them a link to those uh, so Mm -hmm. that they know about catch methods, about, you know, wild salmon and what's in season and, and, and all those sort of different topics so that when these customers, whether they be an old customer from 11 years ago, or a new customer, they still get that same experience from when I was in the truck doing it myself. Um, And, you know, I, I also have, for that matter, a lot of people are like, oh, you should open up a shop in X, Y, or Z, wherever it may be. And of course, like, that'd be wonderful to have flying fishes in all these places. And for me to be able to train people and educate people in all those places, but guess what? I ain't going to do it. Mm-hmm. So my goal is to do platforms like yours here on a podcast, on interviews, on media, anything that I can do to get the word out there and educate. And I'm really, I try to be as transparent as possible about sourcing and why we sell what we sell or use what we use for ingredients. Um, so that, you know, this is a replicable model Elsewhere because I'm not going to open places everywhere, but I want to educate people so that they make better choices when it comes to their food and, mm-hmm. you know, just all the all the good, good stuff that will help to hopefully, fingers crossed, um, change the tide a little bit on the environmental impact that humans are having on the planet right now
0: right because you are definitely more than just a market and a restaurant like it is for you it's this mission is very important i know that (laughs) if anybody has any questions like they go to you you will have you'll give you'll give the 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 real answer you know we talked about we were on a segment together about the movie when sea spiracy came out and you know there was so much hub hub in the industry about you know no, no seafood is sustainable. And the only seafood that's acceptable to eat is no seafood. And, you know, just even if you don't know anything, you're like, really? I mean, it's worse than what? I mean, (laughs) so uh, tell us about that. I mean, when people say that, does that just make you angry?
1: (laughs) No, it brings up a really good point. Because, you know, uh, if if, uh, there's such a difference of a documentary that, you know, educates or brings awareness to a subject that it's very clear that is it um, needs additional focus and attention and regulation and to make sure that we're not over, over-harvesting the ocean and that we're taking care of the fish that we do catch and not discarding bycatch and all these important factors and that we're not killing whales and dolphins and what mm-hmm. the F uh, are we doing? Um, so right. absolutely, yes, I agree that the, the principle of that movie, uh, Seaspiracy in general, was, um, let's say good um Mm -hmm. maybe that's not even the right word for that one because that film was far from good um the challenge i had with that film was um a it was it it was a hard film to get through um for me being a fisheries guy and an oceanographic kind of a, a a guy um the gore the 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 nitty gritty, just like wow, blast it in your face. Um, the issue I had is that they they just stated a bunch of um, really overzealous facts that weren't actually facts. They weren't mm-hmm. scientific. They were just like like what newspapers do, like headliners that said mm-hmm. that X, Y, and Z happens. Um, they didn't highlight any of the good examples of, of true sustainability of some of the um, fisheries and some of the areas that are doing the good work. Um, and then lastly, their solution to not eating fish is just not realistic. Right. Uh, You know, we we so many people in this world depend on fish as their seafood, as their protein, as their main protein source. So to have a vegan propaganda say that, oh, the solution is just not to eat fish. That's just that's just uh, there's an underlying reason why they did that film. So so, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of overstated facts, not a lot of real details, not good solutions, and they just didn't highlight the the positive stories of sustainability, which there absolutely are as well. Right.
0: So, you know, for somebody like myself, I mean, I care about um, sustainability. I care about the environment. I'm going to do um, what I can, you know. But a lot of times, I'm going to the store i don't know a whole lot you know I, I might pull out like a guide or something like that but for people who are just shopping because they're cooking you know a lot of people who are listing or just people who obviously sustainability is important to them you know but they go and they're 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 assuming that they're going to uh i mean let's assume they're going to a better grocery store right or some sort of fish you know, maybe they're going to your flying fish but For you, they can go and trust that you, you, anything that you're selling is sustainable. But like, if they're going to maybe a larger grocery store, what should they be looking for? And is all farm-raised bad? Uh, You know, what do you think?
1: Oh man, that's that's such a good question. I love it. Um, You know, I. You're absolutely right. Like not everybody is in Southeast Portland where they can come to flying fish. So, you know, what kind of information can I give them to go to um, their day to day, week to week um, grocery stores or markets where they go? And, um, you know, that that is that is a a wonderful point. Uh, And so so for me, like the number one. Factor is where is that fish coming from or where is any products coming from? So Mm -hmm. like I I, I think about ingredients, um, I guess first and foremost, if it's a product that's more of a processed product or whatever it may be. So look at the ingredient label, make sure that there's no, you know, high fructose corn syrup or, you know, just, just, genetically modified, you know, canola oil or whatever it may be in it. So try to source ingredients that are as healthy as possible, you know, as quote unquote sustainable as possible. And, and, you know, if, if somebody's listening to this podcast. Obviously, they're interested in food and doing better. So, just continue that 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 journey into learning and and growing and educating yourself on on what is better for your body, what's better for the environment, and keep learning, learning, learning. So, first and foremost, ingredients. Um, secondarily, like if we're talking about seafood in particular or proteins, meats um, for for that matter, it's really important to me where it comes from, and I think that's probably the in general the number one factor of uh, of of you know choosing the the best products is where is that product coming from so um, yes, there is the sustainability guides. One of the big ones is the Monterey Bay Seafood Watch, mm-hmm. which it used to be an app. I, I, I know they're changing right now, which is their back ass words on what they're doing, apparently, because they're changing back to like you got to go to their website to check your species. So if you wanted to buy tilapia, which I don't necessarily recommend tilapia because we have better options here, like rockfish, mm-hmm. but if you wanted to buy or if at your store they had tilapia in there, you could go to the Monterey Bay Seafood Watch website and type in tilapia and then it would tell you that the tilapia from china is a big time red listed no no because they're just not raising it in good um, good quality water the feed right is not good. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there's some American tilapia farms that are doing a a type of aquaculture of farming called aquaponics, where they're growing tilapia along with basil. Um, The basil Mm -hmm. soaks up the nutrients that the tilapia produce. And then the, the, so the plants are cleaning the water for the tilapia and and it goes back and forth. Um, so, So there is good examples of all this different species that you may purchase. So getting a resource on where those are coming from is probably the number one factor. Like, yes, buy your USA tilapia, no. Yeah,
0: because that was a big deal for a while. You heard, you know, oh, cause you know, people love tilapia when it first came out. Cause it was, you know, basically like a neutral white fish. Everybody kind of liked it. And yeah, then please. you saw all this like news about, no, no, don't ever buy tilapia. It's like the garbage fish and blah, blah, blah. But you're saying like that, you know, it depends on where you get it from, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no, it it is. That's probably the number one factor. In general, I would say that if you can buy your seafood from USA, that would be if you never even looked at a a sustainability ranking thing like the seafood watch that I was just referencing and Mm -hmm. you just Watched where things are coming from, and that was your only decision maker. You would still be in much better shape than if you didn't. So, in the United States, we have great fisheries policy. Um, mm-hmm. It's our management of our oceans um, that, and those that management goes to off to 200 miles off of the coast. It's called the exclusive economic zone. So mm-hmm. we control that coastline up to 200 miles out, and we have um, councils that deal with scientific data about how many fish are out in the ocean they do um you know they go out and do tests and to determine um total what's called biomass in the ocean and they determine how many pounds of fish the commercial fishermen can harvest before they have to stop so that we always make sure that there's enough fish in the ocean so if you were to just buy usa seafood because we have stringent um, fisheries policy in place you mm-hmm. would good shape as far as sustainability and the quality of our seafood that comes off our coast is exceptional we have a wonderful amount of seafood that comes off our coasts, um, so if you can find USA buy it because it's amazing and mm-hmm. and Otherwise what happens is a lot of that seafood gets exported to Asia and primarily because they're willing to spend more money for our high quality seafood. And then we turn around and buy the shitty farm raised tilapia from China because Americans aren't looking at the labels of where these products are coming from. So it's a little back Mm -hmm. ass right now, but if if we all continue this movement of actually caring about where that food is coming from and fine with paying an extra 50 cents a pound for something rather than, Mm -hmm. To having it come in from China do it and it's worth it it's more nutritious it's healthier for the environment it's healthier for your body mm-hmm. and it's it, it supports our our economies on the coastlines and stuff so it's just buy usa and and you'll be in way better shape than if you never did anything else
0: <laughs> well i love that tip because it's just so simple i mean if nothing else just ask where the fish is from you know where was this fish caught you know and it was caught in washington alaska you know you, it just makes sense right as opposed to it came from you know spain or wherever you know yep. um and that's true like there is a cost to good seafood and people complain about the cost of real ingredients all the time you know real real eggs that have been (laughs) raised by chickens who have lived a good life and real beef and there is a cost same thing with seafood and people should know that there's a lot of work i mean i think about dungeness crab i my family grew up catching dungeness crab you know, off the Oregon coast, and I never paid for a crab until I was like, maybe in my 30s. Uh-huh. And, I, and I was like, shocked at how much one crab cost. I was like, what? Like I, I always think of it as like cheap, like free, like we, you know, we caught the full amount that we could. And so even now, you know, I'm not crab fishing very often. But you know, like some. Um, And I might want like a Christmas crab, you know, (laughs) I'm trying to I'm trying to start a tradition at my house, people who know me, like every Christmas, I'm like Christmas crab, let's do it, you know, Um, because that's, you know, when the crab are really great. But I'm always like a little sticker shock. But then I think about how much work it is to catch crab in the dead of winter (laughs) off the oregon coast and it's not an easy job right it's brutal
1: it is absolutely brutal listen i go out fishing with my fishermen um in the summertime and the shoulder seasons i don't i haven't gone out there in the dead of winter when the crabbers are out there but those guys are tough son of a bitches Um, they're risking their life literally Mm. um high seas like uh, just nastiness, trying to get in and out of what's called the bars is is uh, how you enter and exit the ocean, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be the Columbia River Bar where the Columbia River goes into the ocean. It's the graveyard of the Pacific. There's
0: thousands
1: oh, yeah. that have sank out there. Same thing goes with Garibaldi and Newport, um, where these places where you enter into the ocean is super dangerous they're salty humans that are out there um, providing us with an incredible resource that we should be willing to pay a little bit more for versus Mm -hmm. a blue crab meat that's pasteurized in a can that lasts for two months from stupid philippines yeah (laughs) it's just absolutely just don't buy it don't do it, right. it's not sustainable, it's not supporting our economies and mm-hmm. and pay the extra 50 cents and just mm-hmm. honor those people that are out there getting it, honor the animal that we're sacrificing to be able to eat that protein. And and those little bits of really, I consider that just energy. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's energy that you're putting into your food of thinking about it and being grateful for that food um, and that resource and just that little bit of attention into that mm-hmm. food can give our bodies so much more nutrients and, and the energy that we need um, rather than the alternative, just, just like the boneless, skinless chicken breast that you don't really think that that came from a real animal.
0: Um, oh, I know.
1: <laughs> you know, and it's just like, it's just blank. And same with the tilapia from China, that's just shitty farm raised tilapia. They're not giving mm-hmm. them good feed. It's just void of any real nutrition or flavor or energy. So if you can really like be one with your food, and, and mm-hmm. think about where it's coming from and even that alone I, I feel like is is really impactful.
0: Well, I love how passionate you are about this and this part of it is I know that you grew up in a family where this is like your life from like from the time you grew up. So tell me about you know, flying fish company. you're founded by your parents, right? And then you grew up in the business. In Idaho, I looked up where I looked up where because I was like where in Idaho because there's no water in Idaho. But you know the the ocean,
1: the ocean on high tide sometimes that water um, reaches all the way to Idaho um, through the dams and the Columbia and Snake and all that. It eventually gets there a little bit of salt water. So we know.
0: I know I had to look on a map because I was like, (laughs) where in the world did this Flying Fish Company start in Idaho? But you're but I was right on the water on a giant lake, right? Yes.
1: Yeah. So I, um, you know, so before I was born, 1979 is when my parents started flying fish company and they, uh, I was born in 80. So my dad started flying, he was flying the little Cessna planes and he was uh-huh. a flight instructor for those planes. And he would fly back and forth from Seattle all the time to my hometown in Sandpoint, which is Northern Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only about 300, 350 miles to go from Sandpoint to Seattle. So he'd pick up with a box of fish in Seattle and bring it back inland where there wasn't good availability of seafood of got of, it uh,
0: that so. that makes sense he was like everyone's hookup everyone was like hey you know because they're like craving like really good fresh fish yeah you
1: know <laughs> yep yep so that's how it started and then in my youth like he had a um fish and chips restaurant early on and kind of went through a couple different restaurant things but we always had this little market going um for a lot of years it was just a fish truck on the corner of the standpoint super drug um Mm -hmm. outside of like across the street from Safeway so you can either buy your shitty fish from the Safeway fish counter or on Wednesdays or Fridays, you could come and get your fish from flying fish and get the rest of your groceries at Safeway. Mm -hmm. So as a kid, I grew up helping package fish and selling it in the little market. And it was just a part-time gig. So it was Wednesdays and Fridays, we would sell, we would get that fish in on Tuesdays and Thursdays and package it for the next day sales. Mm -hmm. uh, So as a kid, that's what I grew up with. Um, My dad um, went to Scotland with his old boss um, almost every year and uh, to go play golf. And I would cover the big business run the business while he was gone as a teenager Um, so that was like my first like learning about paying bills and and ordering responsibly and 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 running the business so not over ordering so we didn't have to freeze up too much stuff and Mm -hmm. so that was my youth growing up around seafood and learning about quality and how fish is supposed to smell and when it isn't good what it smells like um in in high school, I was a foreign exchange student um, through Rotary Group. I lived down in Ecuador, and mm-hmm. one of my families down there was a shrimp farming family. So I spent a lot of time on the shrimp farm down there when I was there for a year, and I ended up getting interested in doing more of that. I was I really liked the you know the physical aspect of growing something, um, having live you know animal husbandry. Uh-huh. Um, like the equations of like food ratios versus how many pounds of shrimp you get out of the ponds and all that sort of stuff. So I I went and uh, studied aquaculture in college at an oceanographic institute down in Fort Pierce, Florida called Harbor Branch Oceanographic.
0: I know that um, sounds pretty serious. <laughs> yeah, it
1: was cool. It was, I lived right on this campus where there was uh, research vessels that would go out and had submarines on them that would go down to like 3,000 feet underneath the ocean.
0: Oh, how fun.
1: Marine research. And then um, on my department for the aqu- Culture. we were raising uh, clownfish for the aquarium um, mm-hmm. trade so that you didn't harvest clownfish from the wild. Um, we were doing, um, you know, tank grown like hybrid striped bass and then shrimp and everything and clam aquaculture. So I learned a lot about different stuff with that. Um, worked in aquaculture for a bit after college and then, and then bagged all that fishery stuff and moved to Utah when my, where my buddies were a ski bum at Alta, and I ski skied <laughs> for, uh, for several years and worked at a restaurant in Park City and ski-bummed it out to...
0: It's a necessary thing. you got to oh, get that out of. of your system. <laughs>
1: yeah, it was excellent, excellent years. <laughs> I still have a smile on my face from those years. Right. Uh, so, and then back into the fishery stuff, um, when I got laid off my full-time job, I would, at that time I was doing um, high-end real estate. Uh, And uh, during the recession in 08, I guess it was And got laid off my job And then couldn't really find other work And I was like, well, you know, I know how to do fish So I uh, I started selling fish I got a $10,000 micro loan uh, From an organization in Salt Lake City And bought coolers and bought a tent and the scale And and I started sourcing my fish Um, That got flown into Salt Lake City And I would bring that fish up to Park City And sell it at the farmer's market in Park City Uh, So that's how, how flying fish my own branch of flying fish started. I kept mm-hmm. the family name. Um, my aunt has a flying fish down in Durango, Colorado. My dad, at that point, still had our original flying fish in Sandpoint. So we had a we had a flying fish in Durango, Sandpoint, and then I had that one in Park City going. Right. Yeah. So the
0: fl- the flying fish that totally makes sense because you know I was thinking of just you know the actual you know, breed a fish that well, there's a fish called flying fish. I feel yes. like there is right. <laughs> the one that's on your logo, but your, your fish was actually flown in. So to parts of the country where they may not have access to like the highest, the freshest quality fish. So that's, that's absolutely really, really great. Yeah. So I have to and, ask you a question about, you know, when people, they see like frozen fish or fresh fish. And sometimes, you know, I know that sometimes the, the frozen fish is fresher than the, the the fish that people think is not frozen but sometimes the fro- the fresh fish was at one time frozen so can you explain some of that
1: yeah no it's another good question um you've done your homework good
0: well uh, I, I like seafood and i yeah. buy it and i ask was this frozen and thought or and sometimes i'll buy things knowing that it was uh frozen off the boats and it was like flash frozen like the technology that they have these days like is incredible.
1: <laughs> you're absolutely right. No, you're you're right on target with that, and that's why it's such a good question. So, so here's the deal. Um, at, at at my market, and again, this is like start a kind of how I'm trying to set a precedence with like how to run or how to operate um, and and source in a way that makes the most sense. A for the consumer, for the retailer, for the fishermen. Um, so for me fresh fish is what is never been frozen so my fresh fish has never been frozen Mm -hmm. we don't ever defrost fish in our case so fresh is fresh i mean it's never been frozen it's never been hard
0: which is the way it kind of like should be but now you're like fresh frozen fresh
1: (laughs) it's it's really just a bunch of bs quite right it's all these little acronyms and and words that, that actually don't mean anything. And for that matter, like a lot of these places, greenwashing the word sustainable. You mm-hmm. know, some of the worst companies that aren't sustainable at all have sustainable seafood written all over the side of their trucks. And you're just like, wait, you're selling all this farm raised shitty fish from Asia that mm-hmm. is not sustainable at all. It's all red listed from the from multiple different um, sustainability rankings and yet your trucks say sustainable seafood all over them. It's just greenwashing customers so that they think that that it's sustainable, but it's really not. So, mm-hmm. um, so for that matter, back to the fresh frozen, um, they or that word what I just said, fresh frozen. Like, what the hell does fresh frozen mean? That's that's <laughs>
0: you're putting
1: words together that don't that are opposites. Um, they're oxymorons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so for me, fresh means never been frozen. Um, frozen fish um, in in my market is the wild Alaskan sockeye salmon that was harvested last month or um, six weeks ago in July and frozen up in Alaska after it was harvested and it's remained frozen that whole time. It's shipped down on barges and stuff. So it doesn't take a lot of carbon um, footprint because it doesn't need to get flown down. Mm -hmm. So it gets shipped down here on barges. And then I still sell that. I sell that in its frozen state. So you can come into my market Buy that piece of frozen Alaskan sockeye, which is a great quality, super sustainable, handled properly. You keep it in your freezer and defrost it when you're ready to eat it. Mm-hmm. I, what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to defrost that fish, put it in my case, and then you then it's ready for you to cook in 30 minutes. Um, because mm-hmm. for me, when as you as a busy market. You don't know exactly how much to defrost or how much product that somebody's gonna come in and purchase that day. Um, mm-hmm. So, a lot of times these places will have extra product um, defrosted. Let's say if they're defrosting fish, now that fish that was defrosted is like three days old or five days old or whatever the number is. After a fish has been frozen up um, and then defrosted, it doesn't last for as long as if it was just fresh out of the water. Fresh Mm -hmm. fish out of the water, actually, if handled properly, can last for 10 to 14 days, Mm -hmm. uh, typically in its whole form, so that you don't have the filet having bacterial growth on it because there's more surface area. Mm -hmm. Um, But fresh fish can actually last quite a long time. Um, Frozen fish, after you defrost it, like, three days is max so what i I don't want to do is i don't want to defrost a piece of fish and have it sit around for a couple days and have somebody take it home and then not cook it the day they bought it the next day and then now all of a sudden that piece of fish that they bought it's just it's not that great because it's Mm -hmm. been around for too long so i have fresh fish and i have frozen fish and there's no line in between them there's it's either Mm -hmm. one or the other Uh, so that's my model it's um I don't know any other even fish markets that do that, even, you know, some of the few fish markets there are here in Portland um, and and all all over the West Coast, for that matter, because I'm always stopping in fish markets everywhere because that's just my my gig. Um, That's my jam, let's say. Uh uh, Most places, every place to frost fish to put in their case, along with grocery stores do it as well. Same thing goes with shrimp. All those shrimp in their cases are all frozen shrimp. I
0: know. I tell people that all the time.
1: <laughs> frozen after they're harvested. They're not fresh. I I that it's just a convenience so that you can go home and cook them right away. And it's just opposite of what I do. I have my frozen shrimp in the freezer. They stay frozen. You stick them in a, in a bowl, you stick them in a bowl of cold water.
0: They defrost so fast
1: minutes at most. And then right. you're ready to do what you wanted to do. And you're going to get a perfect quality product every single time. If it's coming from a frozen state and not sitting around to frost it
0: right yeah that's what i i when yeah i the shrimp thing always comes up where people are like oh that's you know fresh shrimp and i'm like that yeah. was frozen Not it's just hot <laughs> yeah
1: which is is fine, and and it, I guess it brings me to the third point, because uh, as you can tell, I can get into my rabbit holes of enthusiastic <laughs> um, you know responses over here, um, but it brings up my the the third point of what you said about frozen flash frozen quality. Um, so nowadays they actually have this little. Um, uh, I guess it's a, a gauge, a little device that you can put. It has a couple probes on it, and you mm-hmm. can put it on a fish fillet, and and measure the quality of that fish fillet. Um, so what that means is that. Um, they have done tests and I've actually done blind taste tests before I've participated as one of the testers mm-hmm. in blind taste tests over at the food innovation center here in Portland um, oh, yeah. where, where they're taking a fresh sockeye salmon filet, for example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and a frozen, um, flash frozen, high quality um, sockeye filet. Mm-hmm. They have us experienced, you know, with, with our palate and experienced fishy folk uh, whether they be chefs or um, you know market tours like myself and that they have us blindly taste these products they have a little white box you sit in white walls one little window they put a piece of, um, of fish through that they cooked um, in the oven no salt no anything Um, has you look at it you taste it and they've got a little iPad there where you do texture flavor um, moisture all these different um, gauges of 1 to 5 or whatever and and then they, then they give you the second plate of fish. And you don't know which one is which. You mm-hmm. just do it based on what it actually tastes like. And um, they have been showing that the frozen, like the high quality flash frozen. So flash frozen means it's frozen at a really cold temperature. It mm-hmm. helps to maintain the cell structure of those fillets, um, like all the cells inside the fillets. That It's it showed multiple times. Ecotrust has been doing a lot of this work mm-hmm. um, that the frozen... High-quality frozen fillet is actually tests better in a blind taste test than fresh does um, the majority of the time.
0: Right, I read about the study, and it's uh, fascinating. And it's it and, ag- and again, it's because the technology is such that it can freeze in such a way that it's not um, you know degrading the product and yes. so you're having a fresh product and so um, and sure you can have fresh fresh never frozen that yep. is of equal quality but then you have to trust that that, that what, what, all all the people who touch that fish along the way have maintained that quality you know and yeah. you could be lucky you know go to a flying fish but you could not be lucky but you know you go to a, a reputable frozen fish, Company, or you know, if you know where that fish is from, you may have a better result. So anyway, fresh is not you're always fresh. You're
1: absolutely <laughs> right, and and so here's just a little um additional um, icing on the on the cake of that is you're you're absolutely right. Somebody like me, I have that choice of my friend Seth of Yakobi Fisheries in in Southeast Alaska, where we I was just up in Alaska and visited his plant. Like he's filleting the fish, vacuum packaging them, freezing up at high, super high, uh, low temperatures, high quality, um, technology, all this stuff. Um, his fish is going to be amazing. I have that availability to source that fish. Um, not everybody has that availability to source that fish uh, like at other grocery stores in the rest of the United States and in the Northwest for that matter as well. Um, the, uh, um, Oh, yeah. And then what I was going to say about that was the distribution channels like you're actually probably better off if you have to go through a larger channel or if you don't have a little fish market where that you trust and it has good sourcing on their products, you're actually probably better off getting just a frozen sockeye filet from their frozen section at the grocery store um, rather than trying to pull something fresh out of their case whether it be defrosted from several days ago or fresh which quote unquote has never been frozen um, because the main channels of distribution take so long for that fish filet to get to the market that you're better off just buying the frozen Mm -hmm. piece of fish because it was probably frozen up immediately after it was harvested it stayed frozen the whole time and you're going to defrost it and have a better experience than trying to get a 14 day old piece of fresh fish from a shitty grocery market grocery stores
0: fish counter yeah mind blown right there (laughs) i know for some people that will be uh, quite shocking to hear that but i mean i'm i try to tell people this because i read about stuff like that you know i don't eat seafood that often just because I, you know, I was most, actually, when I go out to eat, I always order seafood. But yeah. <laughs> at you know, home. A lot, of,
1: <laughs> a lot of seafood that's consumed is consumed at restaurants for that reason. Because fish can be a little tricky to cook with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people are have a tendency to overcook it. Um, and, you know, it's an expensive protein. So if you F it up at your house, then it really hurts. Um, so a lot of people eat their seafood at restaurants. Um, because yeah. typically you're going to get it done perfectly uh hopefully and um, and and it's great it's new stuff i actually order seafood at restaurants a lot because being a um you know a restaurateur and and always you know cooking for people um i i always like to see and develop new ways and see what other people are doing so we're actually most of the time ordering seafood at restaurants as well
0: yeah, well, I mean, I like to cook it. It's just that it would be I'd be cooking it for myself, so it's just kind of lonely eating. So, um... oh, we got
1: to work <laughs> on your family. Yeah, I'm going to help you.
0: Well, and I and I don't want you know my husband to be offended because he would say, well, I do like fish. He you know he grew up eating like um like trout, things that he would catch. Yeah. So you know he so the idea of eating like fish yeah. that's unfamiliar or like little octopuses or things like that is kind of like hard for him. Whereas like I grew up eating basically anything that came out of the ocean that we caught that wasn't gonna kill ya, you. Know? Yes. <laughs> um, we, we ate it. Um, and it was delicious, but it was all super fresh because we caught everything. Uh, yeah, and, my, well, and my kids. I, I, may,
1: I may have to work on your husband. I'm a motorcycler as well. So I heard your last podcast <laughs> with him. I know he's doing those tours. So so there may be some opportunity in the future to uh, do a little collab with him and his motorcycle tours. And, and I'll, I'll be working him on him and the fish world. Don't you worry.
0: Right. He does like to fish. Yeah. He's got a fly rod and everything. It'd be yeah. like motorcycles, trap on the fly rod, catch it yourself on the road. You You don't have to pack anything you could just That's fry good. it in a nice little pan with a little butter It'd be delicious right <laughs>
1: yes I, we'll we'll have to work on that one together
0: <laughs> uh well let's talk about some of the delicious ways you're cooking fish at the restaurant because um you know your fish and chips are quite popular i see it all over instagram people love it how are you frying it because i know that you're frying it in a different oil making a conscious decision about making um fried fish a little healthier
1: yeah, for sure. So we um, we use uh, non-GMO rice bran oil. So it, it really goes across the board on all the ingredients we use. A lot of the stuff, uh, we you don't even know what we're using because you don't have to put all the ingredient lists on the menu and stuff. It's not like a grocery store where you have to have full ingredient lists. But what we do is we source the highest quality ingredients all the way throughout. So we're using grapeseed oil um, in like the vinaigrettes and stuff for the salad dressings. Whereas like most restaurants just use the canola oil or maybe a canola mm-hmm. oil bland with olive oil because it's cheaper, um, but it's not as good for your body. It's not as good for the environment, mm-hmm. the monocrop agriculture all that sort of stuff so we try to um or we do use great quality ingredients all the way throughout even if you may not see them listed on the menu or um that and that's part of my challenge is being a sustainable restaurant and sustainable seafood market it's always really challenging to tell the story um -hmm. find ways And, and that's why i do these sorts of things as often as possible and 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 educate and be a resource of this information because um really like most of my customers just know trust after all these years of me talking and doing and you know walking the talk um they know that we are making those those good choices Mm -hmm. Uh, and for me what's really neat is when the customers give us a review and they're like man that food was incredible simple Um, not too oily and it made me feel good after we got done. I didn't feel bloated, I didn't feel full, I don't feel guilty for eating this um, fish and chips or something because we're trying to use the ingredients that are going to be healthy for everything from the environment to you, to us using them. Um, So yeah, so we pay 20% more at least on so many different products that you just never even see what they are. But one of those is the rice bran oil that we use in the Mm -hmm. fryers. Um, We're using high quality ingredients um, for the cod that we use. It's Wild Alaskan True Cod. I work with a a company called um, Blue North and they are the only boat in Alaska, only True Cod boat in Alaska that has... The capability. It's a newer boat, um, less than ten years old. Uh, I was like. 20 million dollar build or something you can look them up blue north um, mm-hmm. cod um, they have an incredible technologically advanced vessel up in the Bering Sea in Alaska where they catch the fish on long line they bring them in through the bottom of the boat rather than flopping over the back of the boat onto the deck and bruising mm-hmm. the fish they have this crazy technology where they bring them in through the bottom of the hull of the boat um and they're filleted and frozen on the vessel while still out in the fishing grounds, way the hell out in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So it's the only vessel that freezes those fillet that fillets and freezes those at sea. So the quality of that fish fillet that we use for the fish and chips Um, again, my cost just went up 30% on that product. Um, So it's, it's on, as you may have seen from everything else going up with costs right now, our supply chains are just crazy. It's really difficult to run a restaurant right now, but I have really good sources to all this. I'm not going through broadline distributors to get all this stuff. I source most of my products as direct as possible. Uh, And then I of course have some fills that I have to do with those broadline distributors or with Seafood distributors, but in general, I'm not getting. You don't see the Cisco truck in front of flying fish because mm-hmm. that's just. It's just not the category. It's not sustainable. They. It's just too much volume that those places need to supply their restaurants that they're supplying, and that's just not. It's just not sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, as. as as high quality of ingredients as possible, as simple of cooking as possible, not overcooking products, you know, a light sear on the scallop, enough to get that texture on the top. We literally use the grapeseed oil, get it smoking hot pan, sear the one side of it, Mm-hmm. Uh, for like three minutes, flip it over, throw a little um, dollop of, of butter in there, let it finish for another one minute, and it goes on the plate with some finishing salt. And, and that's it. Like it, it. When you have really good ingredients uh, then, and quality products, then you just don't need all the extra fancy stuff to go along with it. So we're just really letting that, letting that food um, and ingredients speak for itself.
0: Right. And you're talking about cooking. And I noticed that um, in the last season of Top Chef, <laughs> the one in Portland, yeah. um, the, the Chef testants came to your market to shop. They got a chance to shop at your market. And, you know, Tom Colicchio always talks about, oh, they cooked that salmon too hard and like all the albumins came out, you know, like the, yes. the white part of the. It's, but at the same time, you know, people are always trying to get that crispy skin. You need to have a hot pan to get the crispy skin. And yeah. what do you do? I mean, do you crisp it? I mean, you need it hot because you need it. But is it just then you turn it down? Because, I mean, is it that bad of a thing? Because now I don't know if it is or not. But now when I go to a restaurant and, cook, you know, buy some salmon or whatever, I'm like, oh, they cooked it too hard. But I'm basically yeah. just doing my version of Tom Colicchio saying that, you know, <laughs> not that I really care. But it tastes good. It tastes good.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No, super hot is is super important. Most most seafood cooking. Um, can be done pretty hot and pretty quick so like i mentioned the scallops um, yeah same thing with the with the crispy skin um, definitely super hot pan you know really good quality cooking um, equipment is is really the ticket as well i'm a big fan of finex uh, you know made here in portland mm-hmm. um, and um, and it just has a perfect that it's a finer cast iron um, the surface of it is um, so it has less chances of sticking uh, especially if you have it seasoned real nice. Um, I don't use much nonstick anything. I just don't think that that's, you know, as it gets chips and stuff in it, it is ingredients, it's chemicals and shit that can cause cancer, and, and I'm not down with that. So I try to use stainless steel and cast iron as much as possible. Um, grilling is is amazing as well for seafood um, so just real quick, simple, um, mm-hmm. cooking, definitely hot cooking and take it off early. So yeah. a lot of the things that people, a lot of times people will cook it and they're like, Oh, it doesn't look done yet. It doesn't look done yet. Okay. Okay. It looks done. And then they take it off. And then once it hits the plate and sits there for the three minutes before you actually sit down at the table or five minutes, it's now overcooked because it was done when it came off the grill and then it went from that done which is like a medium to Mm -hmm. all the way to the um overdone um in in those couple minutes of taking it off so take it off early take it off when it's still medium rare and then it'll get to the table and, Mm -hmm. and finish cooking on the plate um to a perfect medium like awesome awesome flavor and texture and moisture so just take it off early don't overcook it cook it hot cook it quick use good ingredients and um you're just you're guaranteed to have a good 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 experience
0: yeah because as you know when it comes to fish especially there's very few fish that um benefit from like long cooking (laughs) you know you can eat it raw most most fish if it's fresh can be eaten raw so if it's slightly under it's better than over in my opinion um yeah and for
1: that matter as well i think it brings up a good point as far as raw and uh, food safety and that um you said most fish can be eaten um raw if it's fresh and there's actually the fish that can't be eaten raw um just need to be frozen and then you can eat them raw Hmm. So, so it's actually the freezing process, uh, as long as it's, there's a, a guideline with how long it needs to be frozen for in order to make that food safe. But for mm-hmm. example, wild salmon, you can't just catch a wild salmon in the Columbia river and then slice that sucker up and eat it raw. It'll get, there's, there's a parasite in that oh, fish, yeah. a potential mm-hmm. parasite in the, in that fish, like tapeworms kind of, um, parasite. Um, All you need to do is freeze that fish up for a week in your freezer that's at, you know, zero degrees or whatever, and that kills all those parasites, then you can slice it up raw and just eat Mm -hmm. it raw. Wild salmon needs to be frozen first before you eat it raw. Mm -hmm. Um, Along with halibut, um, if you want to make ceviche with halibut, you actually need to freeze that halibut first before you make the ceviche with it because it's another parasite fish. Um, Got tuna, it. tuna does not need to be frozen first before you eat it raw. Um, mm-hmm. It can be fresh out of the ocean and slice that sucker up and have some sashimi and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But for salmon and most white fish are actually parasite fish, so you need to freeze those up first before you eat them raw.
0: Yeah. Those are great tips. You know, my sister, my sister's family, they're big fishermen. They just got back from fishing. Um, but I love it when they catch the, the lingcod that's like oh, blue, blue. It.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> not weird.
0: It just looks crazy. Of course you cook it. It looks fine. It just, changes. And it just
1: cooks out to white. Yeah. It's so weird.
0: Why is that? I mean, just, I'm asking you, cause you're like a Marine guy. Yeah. <laughs> what makes it, what makes the flesh blue? I you know that that's tint. a good
1: question um it's it's something that you know I think a lot of people are still um, the verdict is still to be determined um, I, I so it's some some good old Google searching on that one as far as like getting, <laughs> getting the insight on different opinions of why that is. I don't know that there's been actually. Well, it's like totally
0: safe friends. to eat. You know, yeah. it's always yeah. a, it's always a great photo op. You know, you get this blue fish and people are like, "What?" the – And you're like, "It's I'll cook it. It'll just be totally fine." Yeah, um, you know,
1: it's a natural phenomenon that happens out there, and um, who knows why? It's like a chromosome kind of a deal. Um, for whatever reason, um, they they produce. Um, blue. Um, same thing goes. Uh, have you ever heard of Ivory King Salmon?
0: Ivory King Salmon. Yeah, no. So it's, a,
1: mm-hmm. oh, it's a white king
0: salmon. Oh wow.
1: Yeah. So it's one of my absolute top seafoods, which I should probably just say halibut cheeks, Ivory King Salmon, scallops. <laughs> like those are those are some of the. Top oh yeah. No,
0: I want your list. Oh, I want your list. So you like halibut yeah. cheeks? I would say scallops, scallops. Ivory King Salmon.
1: Ivory King Salmon. Yeah. So Ivory King Salmon is a wild salmon that's caught out in the ocean. Uh, king mm-hmm. salmon, there's five species of salmon. This one's, most of the whites are kings. Um, the king is the top, the largest of all the salmon, the highest oil content. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these fish are caught out in the ocean. You, they look exactly the same from the outside. They're caught alongside of all the red salmon, just like regular. Uh, and then you fillet them and the, the flesh is white instead of like orange or cherry red wow and it's just like a creamy white um ivory color and it it
0: tastes just like salmon it tastes how you would expect it to taste
1: it's a little bit different flavor i would say it's a little bit like smoother creamier um flavor mm-hmm. than, um, than a red king salmon but it is just phenomenal uh, the fishermen get less money for those fish because the processors don't really have the market for them because the general consumer does not know what ivory king salmon is and they look at the salmon filet they're like well that one's just bland and pale it's not right and i don't want that one but in reality that ivory king salmon if you guys ever see it anywhere <laughs> any, um, viewers or listeners out there um, buy that. I promise you don't overcook it. Salt and pepper pan. Right. Seared, that's
0: amazing. It, this is the first time is. I've ever phenomenal. heard
1: of it. Phenomenal.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's a great tip. I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for that. And speaking, halibut, of, You got to go
1: for halibut cheeks too. Just a little, a little halibut, cheeks, halibut
0: of cheeks. Of course, you know, I mean, I grew up eating the whole fish. Like we never, there was no part of the fish we didn't eat. So it's like the whole thing. I mean, yep. Korean stews with like eyeballs in there. The whole head goes in the pot. You know, it's just, I mean, that's what I'm used to. I mean, maybe, maybe that's the reason why my family doesn't want any fish. Cause it's not a filet. I want to throw the whole thing in there.
1: They're um, afraid of what you're going to give
0: them. Yeah, we'd catch, we'd, ca- we'd go to the ocean. You know, yeah. my dad would go right into the surf or like off the rocks, catch something, whatever he caught, we collect, you know, and I think about it now. It's like, oh, those were those muscles safe to eat or whatever. We throw in like whatever into a pot with some, yeah. you know, some really spicy like mix that we would bring some green onions and just boil a little pot right on the beach and that would and serve it with some rice and that would be like lunch
1: yes yeah super
0: super delicious
1: (laughs) nowadays you got to be a little bit more careful with that um just for the listeners out there um Mm -hmm. with uh there's paralytic shellfish poisoning um which is a nervous system um issue that can come with harvesting wild mussels from the from the shorelines and stuff so you do um make sure that you're harvesting if you if you ever do go harvest that sort of um thing make sure that the area that you're harvesting from is open because they do do tests for those to make sure that there's no blooms those algal kind of blooms that are um, Mm -hmm. bad for you so just uh just make sure that you know that that you're watching where you're doing that stuff but i fully support um harvesting and i think that that's exactly what more people need to do is go out and rent a boat in, you know, in Halem Bay or Nitar's Bay or wherever the hell you're going to go, rent mm-hmm. a boat, drop crab pots, learn about <laughs> crab, take them back, get them cooked, break that sucker open and, um, or go and dig clams and purge them. You rinse them with fresh water get all the sand out of them mm-hmm. and eat them and, that is back to how we first started this conversation It's just a little piece more of, of uh, a, a one step closer to getting to know your food and where your food is coming from because that sort of attention every single time you eat crab after you go and get it yourself mm-hmm. you reference that experience and you make a conscious decision about where that product is coming from and it's just it's that's that's the blessing of it all is to just just get to know where your food is coming from and pay attention
0: and aren't we so lucky that we live in the pacific northwest we have um i mean we went clamming with the you know we i we went there's razor clams there's butter clams purple varnish clams there's a uh, duck i mean there's all this stuff in the yeah. pacific northwest which is incredible yeah. so much yeah
1: the little gooseneck barnacles that you can harvest off the jetties
0: oh I know those things are crazy
1: they're good <laughs> they're like little crab and um yeah you can little eels that are in the jetty rocks and just all, mm-hmm. all sorts of cool stuff not well, everybody's as adventurous as you, but it's yeah. like, start with crabs.
0: <laughs> yeah. Crabs are, you know, I know there's, there's many places where you can just rent crab pots and, you know, and if you catch them, you, you catch one, it's fun. You know, you basically have to throw away most of them cause they're too small, but it's, it's the experience it's small, if you see. Males, yeah. yeah. And it's fun. And it's, yeah, definitely the best, I mean, it's the thing you got to do. Well, when I started doing that is my kids who love animals and then they got to know the crab they see the crab living and stuff then they didn't want to eat it so you're that's right. the thing like if i would have just brought home a dead crab they probably would have eaten it you know
1: totally so i have a uh i have a rooster we've got three little baby chicks at my house this spring and one of them ended up being a rooster and, and you know, a, oh, yeah. have roosters in portland and not a lot and, uh, and b they're freaking annoying so <laughs> i've been trying to get rid of this damn rooster and i've got some friends who are like well you should just harvest it and make a, a, a um, uh, cocaine, you know, the, right. the, the rooster. And I was like, yeah, but my kids aren't quite ready for that yet. But I. <laughs> that is what they should do with it but i gotta find somebody else to do that
0: <laughs> oh i know you gotta harvest it and give it to somebody else if you so once you name something once I'm you name
1: them it i'm harvesting i'm not harvesting that oh
0: stuff. i know it's true it's really hard it's all that kind of stuff is hard yeah so like the crabs came home they were alive and you know they immediately got names and so we can't yeah. you know of course i was the brutal one because i ate them you know gotta <laughs> <So, laughs> like let them go to them, waste huh? But they've been traumatized ever since. So they don't, you know, we go to the aquarium and they see the lobster and it's all a friend. It's all friendly. Like when we go to the, you know, they see them all and they see them as animals. And that's great. You know, I I think that people should recognize that fish and, you know, crabs and all these things are living creatures. And but you like anything, like beef and chicken, if you're going to eat it, be respectful of the life that was given up for you to eat it, like cook it properly, enjoy it, don't waste it and, you know, and eat the highest quality you can get.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Right. And I love that. I love that. that's That's exactly um, what I started off saying um, with you with the boneless, skinless chicken breast from Costco. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't have the, uh, they, they're not on Customers who are buying those products, people who are buying those products, are just not honoring the fact that those actually were live animals, and and they they it, it does matter the life that they lived and had the environmental impact of growing those animals and the food that they ate and the sustainability because you know with a growing population on this planet um, we've come to a maximum capacity of what we can harvest from the ocean and you know what we're producing and now our population continues to grow. Mm-hmm. And we have a gap in between what we can harvest and this new growing population, and the needs that this this population is going to have. So we know that there's you know more people coming onto this earth, and we need to raise food for them, uh, and we need to do it in a more sustainable manner. So now is the time for aquaculture, for the conversations, for the nitty gritty of doing it right, and making sure that the steps that we're taking are sustainable for the planet for our nutrition of our bodies so that we can fight these viruses and bacterias and Mm -hmm. not be so like stay in our home and sanitize our hands. And guess what? Like we have to be strong, um, you know, animals, otherwise, you know, some little small thing is going to take us down or take the weak ones down. and, And, um, so what we eat, the, the, chemicals that we use to clean, all these things are important about our bodies and the environment and how we're gonna continue to cohabitate on this here planet Earth that we live on and, and just honoring that.
0: I know, don't get me started on plastic. You know, I, talk, I think about plastic and all that plastic that ends up in the ocean and just makes my stomach sick. You know, just- <laughs> uh... and, and
1: so, so exactly like that, instead of just, um, it, it makes our stomach sick, cause I am the, absolutely the same. What can we do about it? What kind of grassroots movement can we do um, you and I to share this message for these listeners that are listening is how about we start with reusing some of our Ziploc plastic bags that we just threw like a packet of hot dogs in just in mm-hmm. the refrigerator, but really didn't get dirty. Rinse that sucker out in the sink flip it inside out, dry it in the drying rack and use it again instead of throwing that bag away. And then you and I and every other listener that can hear that and can make that mental note about A, where the food is coming from um, and then B, like reusing a few pieces of plastic that in itself is going to be the seed of a grassroots movement that's Mm going to change the demand for that, for more plastic or for food that's coming from uh, you know, unsustainable production.
0: Right. And so if you see, if sea plastic, pick it up. That's what I say. When we right. go to the beach, we always carry a bag and we always pick up trash. We not even just the beach. We're going to hike. I'm always picking up trash, but oh, oh, yeah. somebody's got to pick it up. And you know, I, people like, it's not my trash. Well, you know, it's your grandchildren's trash. Absolutely. So you better pick it up. Cause it's going to, they're going to be eating it if we don't pick it up. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah. So true, yeah, and and you know, obviously, people that are listening to this are, are people that are going to be mindful about that, and everybody's probably doing that anyway. But hopefully, mm-hmm. there's a few people that weren't already doing that, and then we can um, plant that seed of intention in their brains, and then maybe they can make a change. And then all of a sudden, now we're going to see a shift, and we're going right. to keep moving in that direction because that's really the only way that we're going to make a difference is to get our colleagues to do it Mm -hmm. as well and to think about these things. And then little by little, as you know, look at the organic food movement already, how many more whole foods are there now than Mm -hmm. before? How many more farmers markets are there now versus 10 years ago, a ton. So we are making the right moves, Mm -hmm. it's all moving moving positively and we all just have to keep making good decisions every day and the sum of our decisions are going to add up to be real movements that are grassroots and one person at a time
0: right what should we what should be eating what should we be eating now you know it's like you know people talk about tomato season and whatnot like the fish have these seasons too I mean I know that's you know crab obviously but like what should we eating what's what's fresh to the market right now
1: well, wild salmon season is still plugging away pretty full force. Uh, you know, that will go for another month or two. Um the halibut season is still um doing great right now. That runs until later in the fall as well. Um here in Oregon, we have a pretty good year-round groundfish fish uh, fishery. So, your petrale sole, dover sole, rockfish, mm-hmm. um, black cod, ling cod, those are all five uh, species that are caught here off the Oregon coast that are great. Um, all Overall, pretty available for most of the year. Um, crab is now closed until the proposed December 1st opening as it is every year. And sometimes it opens then, sometimes it's January. Mm-hmm. Um, but crab is pretty much done for. Uh, scallops are a little tight right now from the East Coast. Uh, they, they will continue to get tighter and tighter as the season kind of winds down and quoted are filled um so go with your local local ground fish um you know rock fish that do some fish tacos
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: make your own fish and chips at home you could do like a, a steamed white fish or do a curry with mm-hmm. a white fish um recipe um
0: i love fish and curry and i I love fish when it's steamed too because i love that texture when it's just so like flakes off so buttery you know which um you know you don't quite get that it's different it's a different type of flaking when you uh pan fry something
1: definitely 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 and and lastly like as you said about like what's in season tomatoes and that i think one of the biggest things about our human production system or our needs of a production system are, is we are so dependent on these broadline distributors that are bringing in food to these big cities like Portland from outside of Portland. Um, if and when those supply chains get cut off, we don't have much food in this city to last more than like a week. And I think that people just need to be a little bit more self-reliant so even if that means like growing a couple tomato plants in your backyard and having some tomatoes for this time of year maybe you can them and save them for your you know emergency supply kit in the in the cellar or something or maybe just eat your own tomatoes and have one little bit of of production that you have in your backyard or something but try to be a little bit more self-sufficient uh and and be mindful of where the food that you're having to buy is coming from support your local economies at farmers markets and all that good stuff and, and, and enjoy, just think about it and put that love and energy into the food you're eating. And and I think it's going to go a long ways.
0: Well, that's great. I mean, that is just good advice to have. People should be self-sufficient. They shouldn't depend on, you know, you should, it's nice to have a little backup. It's also nice. It feels great to grow something yourself and eat it. You know, I have a just, I just have a couple, I'm not a farm, I'm not, I do not garden. I, and I, I don't garden because the people around me garden and they all have an abundance of stuff, <laughs> which yeah. they, they have to give it, they give it to me, but I do have a few tomato plants. And I was so excited <laughs> to see the tomatoes come up because, you know, I grew it. Not really. Yeah. I mean, but <laughs> not myself personally. I think my, my little, my son grew it, yes. but. I think the idea of eating something and knowing the source, it just makes it more delicious. Like just hearing the stories too, hearing the stories um, that you're telling about that that true cod. It's like, oh, I gotta go eat that fish and chips because that sound. Lo- I want to see what kind of high tech boat that cod came off of and see if Definitely. I can tell the difference.
1: It makes a difference. It really does.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm excited. Well, thank you, Leaf, so much um, for joining. This is episode 20 of Food People Are the Best People. And I can truly tell that you care about the food. Um, So everybody go visit flyingfishpdx.com as a website and follow flyingfishpdx on Instagram. Be inspired, cook fish, enjoy it, be responsible with it. You know, because we all should, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. And what a great conversation and and, uh, keep up the good work.